The flight was shaky, to say the least. But given how small the aircraft was, this barely came as a surprise. My sister, myself, and the nine other passengers were heading about 300 kilometers north of Vancouver to Williams Lake, a lodging town known for organizing the second largest professional rodeo of the country. Okay, so that was it for the Wikipedia description. Other than that, we didn't know anything about the place and knew nobody there. All we knew was that someone would pick us up from the airport and drive us 200 kilometers further west to our final destination. We are not city girls and we've always loved the outdoors, but nothing could have prepared us for what we were about to find. We discovered a place that both wolves and humans call home. A place where the animals roam free and so far that the ranchers have to take a plane to locate their cattle from above. A place where the kids still grow up to become cowboys. A place where losing a relative to a bear is something that people fear and rightly worry about. Hi everyone and welcome to Life on the Edge. We are Estelle and Rami and we're adventurers. Wait, last time we said we were filmmakers. Yeah, and next time we'll be storytellers. Whatever. In this podcast, we explore what it means to live a life with no boundaries. As we go on with our journey documenting original stories around the world, we share with you the insights and wisdom of the people extending the limits of what possible means. In today's episode, my sister Magali and I will tell you about one of our craziest trips together. In the summer of 2017, we spent a month in British Columbia working on a ranch miles away from any town or neighbor. So now we're mixing the metric and imperial systems. Yeah, that's a Canadian thing. All right, okay. We were welcomed by amazing people who led us into their world. A world that seemed to come right out of an action movie with just a pinch of a Western vibe. In just a month, we learned a very counterintuitive lesson. When life is stripped down to the basics, it is not diminished. It only becomes richer in colors and emotions. That's when you get reminded what truly should be important. The life of a rancher keeps your feet on the ground and your head on your shoulders, yet it blows you away every single day. It was a transforming adventure, packed with lessons that gave us a whole new perspective on many aspects of life. And through this podcast, we want to share some of those insights with you. Now, let us take you to a place where the laws of nature apply to all animals, humans included. Enjoy the story. It was early in the morning when we touched down in Williams Lake. The size of the airport was, well, let's just say that it matched our plane. We got down on the tarmac and walked inside the small building where families and friends were impatiently waiting for a loved one. The travelers and locals were quick to pair up, and that left just us two in the middle, having no clue about who was the lucky one who would be leaving with us. As the small room started to empty, a gorgeous young lady came to us and asked if we were Estelle and Magali. She had the warmest smile and explained that she was the girlfriend of the ranch owner's son. She stayed in Williams Lake during the week to attend her classes, but lived on the ranch the rest of the time. She had to go to school later that day, so someone else was going to pick us up from her home to drive us to the ranch, and we'd see her again at the end of the week. 
A couple hours later, we hit the road. The region is beautiful. It has a hot and very dry climate in the summer, yet you can see small lakes everywhere. Many are formed by the water that comes from the mountains and the many small glaciers on them. While the whole drive was Hollywood-level scenic, the arrival deserved a category of its own. On our right were some wooden corrals and a swampy meadow with Mr. Olympia-sized bulls staring as we drove by. On our left, black and white American paint horses were grazing in the sun. And as we drove in between the two, we reached a blue wooden house that looked just like these old western saloons you see in the movies. Well, welcome to Tatal Lake, I guess. The blue building was the Grahamen, one of the rare restaurants and hotels that offer locals and travelers a place where they can rest and enjoy a nice meal. The lady who owned the place worked closely with the ranch owner, Lars, and so we'd be helping around the Grahamen as well. The ranch wasn't far, just about 20 minutes drive through the forest. Oh, just around the corner. Hmm, are you trying to spoil something? <laughs> Oops. So it was our first day there, and we started by getting familiar with the place. The horses and bulls we'd seen while coming belonged to the ranch. They had about 700 cows split in smaller herds and roaming free out there. Once or twice a year, they had to book a flight with a local pilot to check on the cattle and get an idea of where it had spread. In fact, they had to go for a flight pretty soon, so one of us would probably get a chance to join. Spaces there are big. When moving the cattle, they usually had to load the horses in the van and then drive for a while before getting the horses out and continuing on horseback. You can sum it up with it's... They have their own personal gas station big. So, once we were done wandering around the Graham, it was time to get our official to-do list for the stay, which included, among other things, moving the cattle on horseback or on quads, feeding the few hundreds of chickens and turkeys. Don't laugh about it. This task is much more daunting than it sounds. And we also had to help repaint the rooms of the Graham and maybe check or remove some fences. Sounds easy-peasy, right? Well, these were just the scheduled, the planned activities, but there was a lot more to it. So what was the rest all about, you may ask? Well, at that point, only the future could tell. On the second day, one of the cowboys came to the ranch and said there was a cow drowning in quicksands on the shore of a lake nearby. Since we were the newcomers, they took us with them, just to give us a taste of what our stay would be like. And here is one of the first lessons we learned while living there. When you live this far from any civilization, you obviously have to do everything yourself. This means two things. First, you constantly need to learn what you don't know to figure out solutions. And second, you have to get creative in solving your problems because you may not have the right tools with you all of the time. And so, there we were thinking about how we could pull this cow out safely. Initially, we wanted to go with a car. A cow is heavy, like more than a half a ton heavy. And a big four-wheeler would be powerful enough to pull it out. Well, looks good on paper, but we had a problem. 
We would never be able to reach the animal with such a large vehicle because the lake was almost entirely nestled in a thick forest and there was no way we could push the car through it. So we ended up taking a few large chains and ropes and left with two quads and a dirt bike, crossing fingers and hoping we had what we needed to come up with a solution once there. So we left. We reached the forest and started cutting through the branches until we finally got to the shore. On the other side of the lake, the cow was buried almost to its neck now. There was a good stretch of shore we had to drive along to get to it. While the whole lake was bottomed with quicksands, there was a small narrow rock slide on which we could drive. The rock slide was so steep that the quads were almost at a 90 degree angle. We followed them on the dirt bike and at this point, I remember having a blackout moment and thinking to myself, what the heck are we doing here? So it is our second day there, and we are three grown-up people sitting on the same little dirt bike with probably a few dogs on our laps and driving on just a bunch of falling rocks a thumb away from quicksands. Yep, and this doesn't even sum up how yellow our stay was. About 20 minutes later, and after each of us nearly died three times, we reached the place where the cow was. Surprisingly, it had managed to get out a good way by itself. And at the moment we wanted to put the chains around its neck, it actually got out completely and ran away to join the cattle. Yep, we were feeling very useful at that moment. Obviously, things did not always end this well. One day, Larsha's son Mags and I went out to move a small herd of cows because the meadow they were in was full of some fetches which were very addictive and toxic for them. We knew one of the cows was already in a bad state, but when we got there, it was worse than expected. Fast forward a few hours of struggling with it, and the cow was laying on the ground and starting to get seriously bloated. This can be lethal for a cow, and the only thing we could do was to puncture its rumen, which is where the gas accumulates. Mags ran up to the truck, where we had some tools, came back with a knife, he palpated the right spot to stab, lifted his arm to get some momentum, and as the knife crashed onto the thick skin of the animal, the blade broke and flew away, swirling right next to his face, before landing in the grass behind him. We went silent and looked at each other for a fraction of seconds. Sadly, the cow passed away while we were trying to find another way to help. When we were not running around and trying to cope with some unexpected problems, we were helping with the everyday stuff. But even the everyday stuff was quite extraordinary. I'll never forget these moments when we were riding under a bright blue sky with eagles flying above our heads. Or battle feeding this orphan calf we had to take care of. And this time we stumbled upon wild horses while moving the cattle. Life there is very different and so special in many aspects. You could be painting a room at the Gram when out of the blue, one of the guys comes and asks if you can come with him, because they have to find and dart a lone bull. And so you go. Together you prepare the darts and fill them up with the right dosage. You dip the feathers in oil so it slides better when shot. You throw an air gun on your shoulder and start tracking the beast. First on dirt bike, then by foot. And while you're walking in the forest tracking it, you see the dogs acting weird and wonder why, until you realize there are remains of a dead wolf just in front of you. Like, really? 
It's as if the algorithm of the video game starts throwing at you everything you've never lived before. It's impossible to put it down into words, to be honest. We've heard stories of people getting cornered by a pack of wolves while casually walking back home. Wolves' attacks are extremely rare, though. But for bears, the situation is a little different. The region is a very important corridor for black and grizzly bear populations. While bears rarely attack humans, it does happen, and the ranchers are always careful. Whatever you do, if it implies you going outside, even going to the shed next door to check on the chickens, you have to be careful and take the dogs. And if it's dark, then you wait for the morning. The bear is almost constantly on people's mind. In fact, Lars's brother was killed by a bear. And the irony is that he was the one to save their other brother from a bear attack years before. The people who live there are, in a way, part of the natural ecosystem, and as you would expect, they have a very special connection with nature. They have a level of understanding that allows them to read their surroundings like an open book. When you walk in there, you see trees, rocks, branches, a random forest. But they see everything that happened there. The fresh bear tracks on the right, the brown hair left on the branch, the older, smaller footprints, they pick up the cues and read the story. One day, we found a beautifully conserved deer skull in a forest next to a lake. Lars said that this deer had probably been killed by wolves in the winter. Then he explained. In the winter, wolves are known to chase their prey and push them out of the woods and on frozen lakes. Wolves' paws are fit for running on slippery, icy floor. But with their hooves, deers cannot go two steps on ice without falling. Maybe it's getting too philosophical, but something happened that I did not expect, and it has to do with my perception of death. Death, there, is not taboo. It isn't hidden like it is for us in towns or cities. Think about it, when was the last time you've seen a cadaver? It may have been a fox on the side of the road, but you passed by it so fast, it might just as well have been a ferret. There, death is an evidence. It is not an abstract concept. You see animals being born, you see them die, and you're simply exposed to the whole circle. It's the circle of life. What the heck? Rami! Damn, you were so quiet. I forgot he was there. Huh, I didn't. He takes up two-thirds of my space on the couch. Your boyfriend is getting fat. Hey, I'm bulking up. You fat. It's muscle. You fat. It's not... Guys? Ah, yeah, sorry. Not sorry. So, I was saying that so many accidents happen to people also. You're somehow always reminded that living involves dying as well. And this doesn't make death less scary, but it's a different kind of fear, a healthier one. It's brutal and wild, but not grim and creepy as we often perceive it. And to accept that life has an end doesn't mean that you value it less and treat death like something that's gonna happen to all of us anyway. One day, we found a young cow with a massive injury to her hind legs. Instead of putting it down, like many would have, Lars said that he believes that deep down, we all want to live. And as long as the cow was in a good spirit, we'd do our best to help her. So we cut her and put her in the corrals next to the ground to keep her close. As we were cleaning the wounds on the first day, 
Lars explained that the cow had been attacked by wolves, and the reason why she escaped was because the attack was in fact a hunting class for the pups. The wolves usually attack the hamstrings and severe the tendons so the prey cannot stand anymore. And on our survivor, we could see big and deep wounds on her upper rear side, as well as smaller and lighter scratches lower on her legs, which were obviously caused by small wolves. Hearing those things as a story is one thing, but actually living there and experiencing it gives you a completely different perspective on things. Never in my life have I been in a situation where my actions had so much impact. When you grow up and live in a city, there's constantly something to keep you busy, if not stressed. But this something could very easily be discarded and you would be just fine. The things that you invest yourself in bring you something down the line, but it's also indirect. The efforts that you make and their returns often don't seem connected and it's hard to feel truly fulfilled, at least not in a sustainable way. And the worst part is that you often don't realize how much emptiness it brings into your daily routines. And in the long run, it really hurts your motivation. It kills your drive. The one thing you learn when you're there is to cut off the unnecessary. Forget about the 20-80 rule. Well, they have it backwards. What they end up doing is 20% of the scheduled tasks plus 80% handling emergencies. Yeah, true. And the best thing about it is not only that you feel like your efforts actually make a difference right away, but you are also so much more in the moment. You are more aware and focused on your task because whatever it is that you're doing is probably the most important and urgent thing to do right now. While Estelle and Magali were in Canada, I decided to visit my family in Egypt. As usual, when I go there, my daily routines get turned upside down. Habits are pretty different there, and as people are trying to escape the scorching summer heat, the days and nights are almost flipped over. Cheerful family gatherings casually last until 3 a.m. and are usually followed by lazy mornings, at least for those who can. Now, picture this. The girls are in Canada having fun and working on a ranch in the middle of God knows where. I just woke up to a beautiful sunny day. The others are still fast asleep. So, I make myself a coffee and sit alone in the balcony to enjoy the morning sun. As I'm sipping my coffee, I take my phone out to see if I got any message from Estelle. No message this morning. Weird. They probably had a long day and went straight to bed. I start scrolling through some news when I stumble upon an article that says British Columbia wildfires? The damage so far and how you can help. And I go like, what? I feel my throat tighten up. As I read further, the article says that hundreds have already been displaced and more would have to. The day before that, the government had declared the state of emergency for the first time since the firestorms of 2003. It's 9 a.m. in Cairo and midnight in Canada, and all I can do is wait until the mid-afternoon before I can even try to reach them. Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and would love to have your feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Now, you probably guessed it. This is not the end of the story. That was in fact a little walk in the park, the warm-up, if you will. But in the next episode, things go south 
and nature puts everyone to the test. It's easy to claim to be strong and independent when things go well. But what comes next is a story of courage, grit and solidarity like I've rarely witnessed. Now, take care and we'll catch up soon for the second part of this episode. <laughs> <laughs>